Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. I am um, honored to be able to share this morning with you. We are continuing our series in the book of James. Before we get started, I do just want to acknowledge for those of you online that we have had a technical difficulty this morning, as is generally the case when I am here and Pastor Kyle is not. So uh, (laughs) in the service, you'll find that the scripture slides that appear on your screen will probably cut out at some point. I apologize for that. We'll be in Isaiah 58 at that point, and Scott and Nikki will, uh, will, will comment on that at the time as well. We are excited to be in the book of James. Last week, Pastor Kyle gave us this this kind of bird's eye view of this book, this this short but very powerful book. And if you haven't had a chance to hear that uh, sermon yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. You can find it uh, on on, uh, YouTube or you can listen in our sermon podcast and the links to both of those are on our website. Well, this morning... In the book of James, we are going to be talking about uh, religion. And I wonder how you feel when you hear that word, religion. I wonder if you thought, well, of course we're talking about religion, we're in church. Or I wonder if you felt a little little tension, a little annoyance maybe, a little stress when you heard that word. We all have different... uh, reactions, different responses, and whatever your initial response, that's okay. Because our our instinctive responses to words and ideas are tied to uh, our experiences that we associate with those words and ideas. And each of us has had a different experience with religion, right? Well, I was curious about how people think about this idea of religion, what comes to mind. And so I pulled up the most common Google searches that begin with the phrase, religion is. And here's what came up. Religion is dying. Religion is the of the masses. And if you're a grammar nerd like me, that's going to drive you nuts. But I think the word they're looking for there is opiate. Religion is the opiate of the masses. Religion is the root of all evil. Religion is for people who fear hell. Religion is man-made. Religion is toxic. Religion is poison. Religion is bad. Religion is a social construct. These are the most popular searches for religion. I didn't edit this at all. I didn't leave anything out. It was all negative. Clearly, the common opinion of religion is not great. And it's not really hard to see why, right, when we think of of the atrocities, of the abuses that have happened throughout history in the name of religion, and, and particularly when they have happened in the name of Jesus, It's hard to imagine a more offensive use of the Lord's name than that. So it's fairly easy for us to to point to these these big atrocities, these obvious abuses throughout history, uh, and, and, and identify them as really bad expressions of religion. But James here calls out some less obvious and really more common 
understandings of religion, and he says they are worthless. This is in James uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says this. Ooh, hey, you guys, I got one slide to work, right? All right. Good, you can see it too. Okay. It says, if you claim to be religious... Actually, I'm starting before what you can see. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. There are a couple of things going on here. First, James says that, uh, that we, can, we can commend ourselves for being religious, for, being how, for just how good we are. We can do that until the cows come home, right? But if we don't control our words, then we're just fooling ourselves. And our religion at that point is worthless. James has actually a lot to say about controlling our tongues, the words that come out of our mouth. Uh, and we'll hear more about that, I believe, from Pastor Kyle next week. So for now, let's just keep in mind that if we say we're followers of Jesus, and yet we don't keep our own words in check, we're just fooling ourselves. So we know from that passage, we know what God considers to be worthless religion, right? A religion where we're just saying whatever and we're not controlling our tongues at all and we're kind of, it's double speak there in a way. That, to God, is worthless religion. But the other thing that's happening in this passage is that we see uh, what God considers to be true religion. Some, some versions say pure devotion. And that's what we're going to focus on Today, But I want to backtrack really quickly and just make sure we're on the same page when we understand the word uh, religion. What is a religion? What is religion in general? Religion is the belief in and the worship of a deity. And so to be a Christian then is to believe in and to worship the triune God, God the Father, God the Son who is Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. It's belief and worship. And in, in theological terms, we might talk about this as, as orthodoxy. You've heard this word, like the, an orthodox church. Orthodoxy meaning right belief, and orthopraxy meaning right practice or right action. The practice of our faith is worship. That's what worship is. It's the practice of our faith. It's our orthopraxy. And so our belief in God and our worship of God come together and form, uh, form our religion, form our Christianity, our faith. And I love how straightforward James is about this. He just straight up says, you want to know what religion is in God's eyes? Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Well, in James's day, orphans and widows were among the most vulnerable people in society. 
right? They held no power and they had, they had no one to care for them. So the directive here is really it's to care for the vulnerable and the marginalized. And that's not limited to widows and orphans. The widows and orphans here are just the representative of people in need. And James makes it clear that caring for those who are vulnerable or those who are in need is really near to the heart of God. And this isn't the only place where we see this in Scripture. In fact, this is a major theme throughout the Bible, throughout the Old and the New Testaments. The book of Isaiah addresses what God counts as true worship. And folks joining us online, this is where it's going to get a little weird and you're going to cut out and I apologize. This is a long passage, but it is worth reading. And we're going to read this together in Isaiah chapter 58. It says this about the people of Israel. And this is, this is the Lord speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. He says this. They act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you are oppressing your workers. What good is fasting? When you keep on fighting and quarreling, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Is this what you think will really please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide. <laughs> this is big. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. Sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? Maybe a little more, a little more poetic. Here the people of Israel have said, hey God, check us out. Look how good we are. Do you see how often we go to the temple? Do you see how miserable we are when we fast? Do you see how reverently we bow our heads in prayer? Aren't you impressed? And God said, you're just going through the motions. That's not what I want from you. Do you want to fast? Here's how you do it. Free the prisoners. Break the chains of oppression. Feed the hungry. House the homeless. 
and then, then the one that makes us all look down at our feet, right? Don't avoid relatives who need your help. This is true worship to God. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Jesus himself addressed this, of course, in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus, in this, uh, in this story, he was just with his disciples. He didn't have a crowd around him this time. And his disciples had asked him to clarify some things that he had said uh, earlier. So Jesus began to teach them using parables to, to tell them about the coming kingdom of God. And here, once again, we see this really significant theme of caring for others. And I will uh, just read this one to you, but it's in Matthew 25. Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I tell you the truth. When you did this to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then the king turned to those on his left and said, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Now this sounds pretty serious, right? The ones on the left must have done something really awful for such a, such a proclamation, this, this curse that has come upon them. And here's why. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? When did we ever see that and not help you? And he will answer them, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Are we seeing this theme here? That caring for those who are vulnerable and in need is important to God because the poor and the vulnerable are precious to God. In fact, that is another significant theme throughout the Bible, and we could spend a whole lot of time talking about that, but we will save it for another day. But it is really interesting to note these consistent themes throughout Scripture. In Scripture, there's a consistent message all the way through, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole, the whole Bible. There's a consistent message to the vulnerable and the poor that no matter who they are, they are near to the heart of God. There's a consistent message to script, in Scripture to, to the people of God, whether rich or poor or somewhere in between, that they are to care for the vulnerable and the poor. 
And there is a consistent message throughout Scripture to the proud, to those who are convinced of their own righteousness, no matter who they are, that they are not living in alignment with the heart of God. Now, you may have noticed that when James talks about pure religion, he, he lists two qualifications, to, to care for widows and orphans, as we've uh, discussed, but then also this, this interesting criterion, to refuse to let the world corrupt you. Now, I don't know about you, but to me it feels like James slipped this, this huge and really vague concept into an otherwise very straightforward message. Care for widows and orphans, okay. We know how to do that. That's, we've got it, right? We know how to do that. And also refuse to let the world corrupt you. <laughs> what does that mean? How do we do it? How will we know if we've succeeded? Have you ever had a boss or a teacher do this to you? Like out of nowhere, they give you this expectation that you, you know, you know it's really important but it also feels really unclear. It almost seems to me like James stepped a little bit out of character with this one. He seems to assume that the people reading his letter or hearing his letter will know what it means to not let the world corrupt them. And, and I, that's probably true in the context of this text. In the world of the early church, when James wrote this letter, um, th there weren't really social safety nets right, for the vulnerable. So, so widows and orphans were particularly vulnerable because without the care of the church, they were destitute. So James here is connecting these ideas of caring for the vulnerable and not being corrupted by the world. Because the world, and here in this context, that's those who do not follow Jesus, the world didn't care for the vulnerable. James is saying that the way for us to avoid being corrupted by the world was to do the opposite of the world, to intentionally care for widows and orphans. To refuse to let the world corrupt us is to take intentional steps to do what God has called us to do, which is to care for the vulnerable. We could understand uh, the verse like this. We could understand it as pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and thus refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now you might be feeling a little uncomfortable with this because it may all sound like a really strong emphasis on works. And the Bible's pretty clear that our works or our, our good deeds are not what save us. And, you're, and if you're feeling that way, you're absolutely right. Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We're not saved by what we do. But when we are created new in Jesus, when we enter into the joy of his salvation that comes only through grace, then we are able to do the things that he has always planned for us, 
the things of his kingdom. If you've been here at Crossview for a while, you've heard us talk about, uh, about Set Free Movement, uh, which is a global movement to end human trafficking. The founder and director of Set Free Movement, uh, Kevin Austin, spoke here just a few weeks ago, sharing with us about that organization. And, and there's a group of us here who meet regularly to, uh, to read through uh, Kevin's book and to discuss the theology and the practice of set free communities. I love the way that Kevin has led this organization because he has emphasized that all of our doing as Christians flows from our being. He says that in his book, which is also called Set Free, he wrote, doing naturally flows out of being. We cannot do for God without first being with God. When our doing comes from our own strength, from our own will, then it can very quickly just become another religious motion and we'll either become resentful or we'll become puffed up, prideful, convinced of our own righteousness or maybe both of those things. Worship is the practice of our faith. And according to God, true worship, remember pure religion in the eyes of God the Father means caring for those in need. But we can't do that in our own strength, not for long, not in a healthy way. We have to be connected to God, resting in his presence and receiving his love. And when we do that, then we can share that love with others by caring for those in need, freeing the oppressed, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, and so on, which are true acts of worship. And then true worship ushers us into the presence of God where we can rest in his presence and receive his love so that then we can go and share his love with those in need, freeing the oppressed, feeding the hungry, which is a true act of worship, which brings us into the presence of God. Do you see the life here that they work together? It's not one or the other. It's both and If your life with God feels like it's become a religious checklist, let me just invite you into something more. Pure religion is true worship. It's a life of being and doing. It's holistic and interconnected and relational where you can know God and be known by God, where you can live out this good purpose that he has had planned for you from the very beginning. I invite you into that kind of life. Worship team, would you come on back up and let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. Grateful, Lord, that you have told us what you want from us, what you expect from us. That pure religion is to care for those in need. That the fasting that you desire is to meet the needs of the world around us, to bring justice and peace to our world. 
Lord, when you said that what we do to the least of these, to those who are in need, to those who are vulnerable, that our actions or our lack of actions to those are the same as our actions or lack of actions to you. God, that is humbling. Help us to keep that at at the center of our lives, Lord, to know that everything that we do is for you. And that in the faces of those around us that that we can see uh, you. Help us to see you, Lord, to see your image in those around us and to serve them as we would serve you. Father, we know that you have created us for more than a religious checklist. We know that you have created us, Lord, to to not only be free ourselves, but to join you in setting others free. And Lord, we're grateful for that opportunity. We want to be in your presence. And then from that place to pour your love into the world. Thank you, God, that it's not either or. Thank you that we don't, uh, we don't have to choose either being with you, worshiping you uh, in, in the ways that we might be accustomed to, in, in praying and singing, which are so important, Lord. But it's not only that, but to serve others as well. And that in that way, in that way, we are practicing true worship. Thank you for this rich uh, and, and holistic life that you have provided for us. Lord, today, if there is anyone here with us or online with us today who does not know this life, this abundant life uh, lived in you of love and worship and care, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to their hearts today and that you would draw them closer to you. Let them know your presence, Father. And if you are with us today, if you are hearing uh, these words and you are ready for that kind of life, ready for that kind of relationship with God, just invite you to tell him that, just to pray. It doesn't have to be in any particular uh, language. It doesn't have to be in any particular form, but just to tell God that you are ready to enter into a relationship with him where you can experience his love, where you are known by him, and and where you can know him. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Go before us, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.